Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Let's dive in, man. If you're looking for something to read, I want to recommend two great books. One is a book called The Sending Church. That's by my wife's favorite author. All right. And uh, uh, if those of you who didn't like that's me, I'm just, it was just a joke, really. Uh, uh, but uh, really, uh, if you're looking for something to read, there's a book by the guy by the name of John Piper. Uh, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. It is an incredible, life-altering, mind-bending, you know, causing-you-to-think book about what life is really all about. In that book, he tells two contrasting stories that I think flow really well into our message today. One story is the story of two elderly ladies, one in her 80s, one in her upper 70s. Some of you can relate to that. And they had given their life to taking the gospel to the unreached people of the Cameroon and they never retired. Uh, in their 80s and 70s, and they said, man, we're still going strong, and we're gonna go as long as we can, right? And they did until 2000, and they didn't retire, they didn't quit. What happened was in, 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 in the year 2000, uh, they were together, the brakes on their car failed, they went over a cliff, died instantly. Now, Piper said, a lot of people say, well, that's a tragedy. I mean, you got two ladies that just kept working, never retired to enjoy life and all that time, and then they died. And Piper said, that's not a tragedy, folks. That is a glory. I mean, you've got two ladies that their life wasn't wasted and it wasn't lost. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. So that wasn't a tragedy, that was a glory, right? Now, he tells another story to contrast that. He says two people, a husband and wife, retired early. They worked all their life and retired early in their 50s, moved to Florida, to spend, and their goal was to spend all their time on their boat and laying on the beach and playing softball and all those things. And Piper said, that is a tragedy. Plays itself out over and over. Not that they retired, that's great. Not that they wanted to spend time on a boat, that's great. Not that they wanted to lay on the beach, that's great. I mean, I hope to do all those things, right? But that's what they lived their entire life for. That's what they gave their life to, to get to that point. Their entire life was lived for that moment. That is a tragedy because they lived for something that was temporal. Now, if there's anyone who had ever earned the right to retire, lay on a beach somewhere and sipping drinks with an umbrella and wearing out a Kenny Chesney CD, it was Paul, right? I mean, for the last 30 years, this guy has had a bullseye. I mean, he's had a bounty on his head and a bullseye on his back. I mean, he has been beaten and ran out of town he has been stoned and left for dead on the side of the road. He has been cursed at. He's been betrayed. He's been mocked and ridiculed, all for sharing the gospel and planting churches. If anyone had earned a little bit of downtime, if anyone had earned a little uh, retirement or even a little vacay, it was Paul. 
But as we're going to see today, as we look at Romans 15, 22 through 33, closing out the chapter, Paul didn't do that because he wanted to wring every ounce out of every moment for the kingdom of God. He wanted to make every moment matter. And that is our bottom line today. We want you to hang on to this because we want you to make every moment matter. And we're going we're gonna to look at that today as we look at 22 through 33 of 15. And what we're going to also see is a few more characteristics of a healthy Christian which is uh, therefore characteristics of a healthy church because you're the church. This building's not the church, the people are the church. And so today as we look at this, we're gonna see some characteristics of a healthy Christian and a healthy church. And so let's dive in and begin to look at verses 22 through 33 of 15. And let's start with 22. It says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Now, Paul just says that on the heels of, remember the verses we ended with last week, Paul basically said, my ambition is to preach Christ where Christ has not been named so that those who have never heard will hear. That's why I haven't been able to come to you. Why did he say that? Because he had not yet been to Rome. Paul was visiting these churches and he was writing letters to these churches and man, everybody had heard of Paul. He was sort of a big deal in, in the world and he was, he was uh, you know, a leading pastor, preacher, communicator, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the Romans said, Paul, basically, why, why have you not been visit us? Yo, Paul, come and visit us. You haven't visited, you not like us or something? And Paul wanted them to know, he wanted them to know why he hadn't been there. He basically said here, folks, the reason I haven't been there is not because I don't like you, I want to hang out with you. So, but the reason I haven't been there is because I've been preaching the gospel and planting churches all over the world in places where the gospel has not been heard and the church has not been planted. And I've been so busy doing that that I haven't had time. I simply haven't had time to come. My goal, my ambition, Paul said, is reaching the unreached and churching the unchurched. That's why I haven't been able to be there yet. Okay. Now I want you to see, I want you to understand here we see a characteristic of a healthy church a characteristic of a healthy Christian. And a healthy Christian will have a passion for evangelism, okay? A passion for evangelism. Someone who's a healthy Christian will have a heart that keeps beating stronger and stronger and stronger for people to hear the gospel who've not heard the gospel, for people to be saved, for your neighbor who's lost to be saved, for your mom, your dad, your daughter, your son, your brother, your sister, your, your, your friend to be saved that's not saved. A healthy Christian has a passion for people to come and know the Lord, right? That's why we're asking you to make every moment matter. Right, you make every moment matter. There are seven billion people in this world, over seven billion. Over three billion people have never heard the gospel in their own language. That's what we call a, a UPG, an unreached people group. That's a missiological term that, that uh, didn't necessarily exist in Paul's day the reality did, the term didn't, but we call it UPG. When you hear, hear us or me talk about a UPG, it's an unreached people group. An unreached people group is a group of people who do not have uh, enough of the gospel, enough Christians to viably reproduce. So we call it an unreached people group. That's Paul's passion. Today, 42% of the world's population have never heard the gospel in their own language. 42% of the world's population. That's amazing, 42%. Let me bring that home a little closer to where we live today. Roughly 80% of the people in Middle Tennessee are not Christian, not true believers. Need to say, hold on a minute. 80% of the people in Middle Tennessee are cultural Christians probably. In other words, they, they might, you know, your mom and them were Christians, right? 
I mean, grandmama went to church. I went to church on, I was a Christer. I went Christmas and Easter, right? I mean, I mean, you know, I, all those kind of things. And so I'm a cultural Christian, but 80% of the people in Middle Tennessee are not true followers of Jesus Christ. Over 85%, closer to 90, are nowhere in church today. Not because they, they're working, not because they were hindered, because they didn't get up, because they, church is nothing to them. Almost 90%. Wow. Let me ask you this. What would happen in our community if people had Paul's passion for evangelism? If, if half of the Christians in America were passionate about people hearing the gospel, how many missionaries would be sent? How many churches would be planted? How many, how many unreached people groups would hear the gospel? How many of your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your classmates would be in church if half the people said, oh man, I have the same passion and I have the same ambition as Paul to make sure that people know the gospel. Paul said, Listen, look Romans, I want to come to you. I want to be there. I want to hang out with you. But my ambition is preaching the gospel. I have one moment in time. I have one life and it's short and I don't want to waste it and I don't want to get distracted. I, don't, I, I would love to hang out with you. That's a good thing but I don't wanna sacrifice great for good. Listen, so many Christians are distracted from the mission. Are you distracted from the mission? Hey, some of you are distracted by good things, but you're sacrificing the great for the good. Some people, so many Christians get distracted by absolute just flippant things, just things that, petty things, things that don't matter. I mean, people bouncing from church to church, people doing this, people getting upset over this, people not focused on that, people, uh, so many Christians get distracted. So many, how many Christians, how many people would hear the gospel if we would say, man, a passion for, half the Christians in America, do you have a passion for evangelism? Do you have a passion for people to hear the gospel? That's what we see uh, from Paul. What, what is distracting you? Let's look at verses 23 and 24. He says this, but now, he says, that's why I haven't been able to come to you. But now you see a shift since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, what Paul is meaning there is he's not meaning that all of these uh, people are now Christians all over these places. No, not at all, right? Uh, the most of them aren't Christians. But now he's planted churches, so it's no longer an unreached people group. There is a viable way for Christianity to spread, for the gospel to be preached because there's churches here. Okay. And so he moves on and he says, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, he wants them to know, man, I'm longing to come to you. I want to spend time with you. Okay. I want to, which is important. That's another mark of a healthy Christian. We're going to look at this. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. This is why he's writing the book and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now in verse 24, as I said, Paul tells us why he wrote the, the letter to the Roman church, why we have the, what we call the book of Romans. He wrote it because he wanted to go to Spain to preach the gospel because the Spaniards were a UPG. They were an unreached people group. At this time, the gospel had not yet moved to Spain. They had not heard the gospel. And Paul wanted to go to Spain to preach the gospel because they hadn't heard. He had a heart for that. And he wanted the Romans to participate in this ministry to this UPG by being his sending church. Now, he didn't want all the Romans, knew that all the Romans in the church wouldn't pick up and go with him. He might take one person, he might take two people out of the church with him, but most of them would stay in Rome, but they would send him 
It's ascending church. That's why we're ascending church. You heard me say that a moment ago. We'll talk more about that. We're ascending church. We sent Kathy Schinkel to Bangkok. We send other people to Bangkok. We send people to Brussels who live there. We send people all over the world. But that's not where our sending stops. If you are a, minister, a, 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 a member, you're a minister we talked about last week. If you're a Christian, we send you. We don't want you to think, oh, well, Kathy, those who we send as a vocational missionary or those who we send to live in a different place, that's true missionaries. No, their application is simply different, but the calling is the same. God has called you. We send you. We sent her to Bangkok, but we send you into your work, into your neighborhood, into your school. If you're not living sent, something is not hitting right, okay? If you're not living sent, if we're not sending you, we're, something's not connecting here. We're a sending church. That means everyone should live sent, and we sh the church should send, and people should live sent. Okay, that's what we mean. That's what Paul's wanting the Romans to do. They're wanting him to send them, him to Spain, but he also challenges them to live sent in Rome. Okay, that, that's what the sending church thing's all about. Okay, and so, so Paul here, he wants to go to Spain and, and he wants them to help him as his sending church and not just to, well, we're going we're gonna to outsource missions to you, Paul. You go do it for us. No, he's going to do it and they're going to send him as they live sent in Rome because all Christians should be passionate about evangelism. That's not the job of the pastor. But let me give you some, I'm going to give you some stats today that blows your mind. I've always talked about 80% here don't know Jesus, 85%, oh, close to 90 are not in church anywhere. Some sad stats. Let me give you another sad stat. We're told statistically that 95% of all Christians, and I put that in air quotes, you know what that means, don't you? I mean, 95% of all Christians never share their faith with anyone. That's, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. Do you know what would happen if you'd have told Paul, hey, Paul, guess what? In 2017, in America, in the Western world, 95 out of every 100 people who claim Jesus will never tell anyone about Jesus. You know what Paul would say? Can't happen. He would say, man, he and all the New Testament writers would have not even been able to compute that. This is a guy who's been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, for goodness sake, for preaching the gospel, right? And so he would, that wouldn't have even computed. He would have said a Christian not sharing their faith is like Sasquatch, doesn't exist, right? Now, I know if you believe in Sasquatch, I'm sorry, but it's not real, okay? He's not here any longer. He got abducted by aliens. Okay, so just kidding, man. But uh, uh, if you do believe in Sasquatch, man, come, we'll help you, all right? So it <laughs> doesn't exist. That's what Paul said. He doesn't, I mean, that Christian doesn't exist. And so, I mean, there's a disconnect somewhere, right? So here, here's so what we've learned so far about Paul. Paul says, basically, and his life proves a healthy Christian will have a heart that beats stronger and stronger and stronger for evangelism, for the gospel to go out. Is your heart beating strong? Is it beating stronger? Do you, do you want people to be saved? Sure you do. Everybody, who, who's gonna say, no, I don't want people to be saved. Sure, but it, are you doing something about it? Are you involved? So we see that a healthy Christian in a healthy church has a, a passion for evangelism, but we also see here that a healthy Christian has a commitment to community, a commitment to community. A, a commitment, I, look at what Paul said, a commitment to the body. I, Paul said, I long to be with you. I want to be with you. Paul wanted to reach the lost more than anybody I, probably we ever know. But he also wanted to hang with the Christians. He wanted to hang out with the saints. He wanted to spend time with the church. 
Now think about this, 30 years ago, Paul wanted to kill Christians and destroy the church. Now he wants more Christians and more churches. 30 years ago as a Pharisee, Paul, he wanted to avoid a Gentile about like a 10 year old boy wants to avoid a bath, right? Nothing to do with it. He wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. Gentiles wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want to see each other. The only time a Gentile wanted to see Paul was in his casket. I mean, they hated each other. But now, now things are different. Now the gospel has united them. You see all those things, personalities can divide. Interests can divide. Politics can divide. But the gospel unites. And the gospel united them. Now they, that now they didn't hate each other. Now they wanted to share life with each other. They wanted to share their life with each other. They wanted to spend time and hang out because they had the same savior, they had, which meant they had the same father, which meant they lived for the same things. And so he, here's what I ask you. What we see about Paul is he, he longed to be with the saints. Oh, he wanted to reach the lost. And that's what he lived his life for, wringing every ounce out of every moment, making every moment matter. But he also wanted to spend time and hang out with the saints. What about you? Are you committed to the church? I'm not talking about, man, you, you, you come to church when it's convenient. You see, I, I'm not talking about, you know, you, you come to church when it's convenient, man, when, you, when you're not tired, when you don't have anything else to do, and man, you can, man, I mean, do God a favor, man. I gotta, I'm talking about, are you committed to the church? Are you committed to being here? Are you, are you in a small group? Are you committed to doing life with people who can help you along the way? If, if you're not, we want to help you do that. If you are, wear it out. But on Wednesday night and two weeks from this Wednesday night, on April 19th, we're going to start a bunch of small groups. We're going to start right here on Wednesday night. We're going to come in here at 630. Man, we're going to give you a 15-minute bang from our sermon on Sunday. Then you're going to divide up into groups all over here and out there. And, and we want you to discuss it because we want you to go in deeper. We want you to go in further. We want you knowing people. And so if you're not in one, if you're in one, wear it out and go at it. If you're not, come on Wednesday night in two weeks. We got child care. We got, you know, we got child care provided for you. We got all those things taken care of. So come and be a part of hanging out with a group of people, getting to know some people, hanging out with people. And, 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 and we want disciples, not converts. We want you to go deeper, okay? And so, so are you committed to the church? Are you committed? Are you in a small group? Do you want to be here? Are you committed? A healthy Christian is committed to the community. A healthy Christian is passionate about evangelism. He's committed to the community. And then let's look at what else she is in 25 through 27. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it and, I indeed, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. Now, here we see that a healthy Christian is also committed to serving the saints. Okay? She is passionate about evangelism. He is committed to community. And a healthy Christian is also committed to serving the saints. Paul said, I would love to come and hang out with you. And I, I, I hope to get there soon. But first, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to go to Jerusalem because I've been preaching the gospel all over the world. And the Gentile Christians who have become Christians have taken up a collection of offering to send to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem because they've fallen on hard times. And Paul said, basically, now what's going on here is Paul has gone out. He's preached the gospel. Churches have been planted. 
These Christians know about what's going on in Jerusalem. If you remember in Acts 6, they talked about the widows, the distribution. There were some very poor Christians in Jerusalem and, and, and they had fallen on hard times. And the Gentile Christians uh, that had become new Christians heard about that and they wanted to relieve some of their uh, suffering and, and, and poverty by giving to help the church and to help those in the church, okay? And you know what Paul said? That's a noble thing, but you know what Paul said? Paul said that he, they actually were indebted to them. They owed them that. Now, what did he mean by that? You know, I chewed on that a little bit this week. What, what did he mean by that? Well, here, here, here's what he meant by that. The Jewish Christians in Rome, although they were poor, had sacrificed greatly to send the gospel around the world, okay? They were a sending church. They said, you know what? We are believers, we know Jesus, and we know Jesus is not a, 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 a national God. He's not a one nation God. He is a global God. He wants people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and language to come to know him. And so we want to take the gospel around the world. So they had sacrificed, even though they were impoverished, they sacrificed to send out missionaries. These missionaries went out of which Paul was one. They planted churches, they shared the gospel, and these people had become Christians. Why? Because God saved them, not the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, but God had saved them, but he had used the sacrifice of the Jewish Christians in order to do that. And Paul said, you know why you, you, they, they understood we're Christians today because God saved us, but that church in Jerusalem, they sacrificed so we could be here today. So I want you to know, Paul said they're indebted to them. That tells me a, a lot of things, folks. That tells me that when you give, when you give your tithes, when you, when you give to one day offering, when you give, you know, uh, all those things, you are making sure the gospel goes around the world and you're making sure that people who never heard the gospel hear the gospel. You're participating like the Roman church. Paul was asking you to participate in being a sending church. You're participating like the Jew, Jerusalem church sent missionaries all over the world. You're participating. You're involved in that. It's a great, great blessing right? And so thank you for doing that. And we need to do more of that. On the flip side of that, let me ask you personally this, what we see here. And one of the things that I, I thought about as I, as I read through that, studied that, prayed over that this week was I began to think about the church that invested its resources, its time, its money in being a church and sharing the gospel that allowed to create the environment for me to become a believer. God saved me, not that church, but man, I'm so thankful that those people served in the children's ministry that taught me the gospel when I was there. I'm so thankful that I remember a, a, an old lady that, that and I remember my Sunday school teachers when I was a child. I remember the people that worked in our soul station. I remember, the, I remember those folks and I remember the investment and each one of them played a role in my hearing the gospel and coming to know Jesus. And I am grateful for that church and the mark that they left on my life. They didn't save me, God did, but they poured into the kingdom and I'm a Christian today and I'm grateful for that. Do you ever think about the, the person or the church that made possible an environment for you to hear the gospel? Man, so, much, so many times we take it for granted and we move on. Don't forget that person. Don't forget that church. Remember, you're indebted to those people. God saved you, not the person, not the church, but you're indebted to those people. You're indebted to those people that pour into your children so that your children know the Lord. You're indebted to, to the people that pour into your husband and your wife. You're indebted to them. So do you remember them? Don't forget them. Okay, and so, so as, as, we, as we look, uh, we see a, a healthy Christian is, is committed to uh, not just spending time with the saints, but serving the saints, right? 
uh, and, and, and not just the saints uh, in our body, definitely the saints in our body, but also the saints all over the world, right? So they were, the, 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 you, had, you had these Gentile Christians serving the church in Jerusalem. Well, you had the Jerusalem Christians serving the church in Jerusalem too. Are you serving the local body? Are you serving this body? Where are you plugged in and serving? Are you consuming? Are you contributing? Are you, are, are you here? Where, where are you serving? We've got, I know so many people so many times say, man, that's a large church. I know they don't need my help. Oh my, are you kidding me? We don't have any area of ministry fully staffed, fully stocked. We can use all the people we can get. If God sent you here, he sent you here uh, to, to, for you to serve here, right? And so where are you serving? The local body. Come and talk to us, man. Ask us. If you're not, ask us. You can't serve without growing and you can't grow without serving. Where are you serving? But it's not just the local body. Uh, a global Christian, God is a global God, right? We can't just serve those here. I mean, so many people, people are like, well, we just need to take care of those in our backyard. That come, you know, uh, we just need to take it. No, God's not a national God. He's not a one nation God. He is a global God. I understand people that are not Christians uh, b being very national and, and, and saying, we just got to take care of, of, of us, our four, no more. We got to take care right here. But that's not the heart of, that's not what the gospel does. The gospel says, listen, my brothers and my sisters in Syria that are suffering, if they're Christians, that's my brother, that's my sister. I'm concerned about them. I need to be praying for them. I need to be involved with them. How are we serving people all over the world that are our brothers and sisters? You, you, you saw, we, 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 I was in Bangkok uh, two weeks ago and I preached two Sundays ago in Bangkok and I'm, I'm preaching and, and many of you know in Bangkok, one of the ministries that we have there is with the, the Pakistani refugees who, who've, who've come because they've been running for life. They're Christians. They, they, they uh, have had to run out of Pakistan to, for their life and they're in Bangkok and we're ministering. And I showed a video a few, uh, a few couple, uh, a year ago or so uh, of one and man, you, I think you can go on our line and watch it. And I showed the video of this guy who, who preached in Pakistan and uh, they found out about it and they come to his house. He's got like a seven-year-old uh, son at that point. They broke his arm, tortured his family. He had to run. He's in Bangkok. Uh, uh, there's a refugee. We're ministering to him. He's coming to our church. Some people, I come home, told the story. Some people gave. We ministered to him and others. And you know what happened? Get, get this. I, got, I, I, was, I was showing Amy uh, this week pictures and he emails me and, text, and, and sends me messages probably 15 this week. You know where he is today? Pakistan, preaching the gospel. It's amazing. I'm like, whoa, I don't, that guy's bold for the kingdom. He's wanting to wring every ounce out of every moment and make every moment count. I was there two weeks ago. We had a Pakistani guy there and we have several Pakistani guys. One, Peyton was talking to him and I was talking to some other people. And this guy, he was in Pakistan, a strong believer, shares the gospel. One little girl, a 13 year old girl in Pakistan wanted to become a believer and she, and she, she had heard the gospel and she said, I don't, be, I don't believe the stuff that I've been taught all my life. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Muslim, I, I want to be a Christian. She gave her heart to Jesus, but couldn't find anybody to baptize her because, and she wanted to be baptized. If you are a Christian and, and so many times in America, people get say, man, I get saved and I haven't been baptized. I'm waiting on it. Man, here's a, here's a girl in a, in a closed country that becomes a Christian and knows the Bible says I need to be baptized and I want to be baptized. And she, she couldn't find anybody to baptize her because they were all afraid. If I baptize her, I might get killed. But this guy in our Bangkok campus, he baptized her. Her family found out about it. Her family called a local terrorist group. They go to his house. He wasn't there, but his family was there. His brothers and sisters, they began cutting off their fingers until they told him where he was. 
Finally, one, someone told him where he was. His dad called him and said, they're coming for you. He had to, long story short, he had to be rushed out of, Bank, out of, uh, out of uh, Pakistan. He's now in, in uh, Bangkok and, and man, uh, his heart is for the kingdom, right? Now I hear that and I'm thinking, that's my family. That's my brother. That's my sister. It's not just about us four no more and people in my backyard. That's not the gospel. The gospel breaks my heart for the world because God's heart's for the world. So are you serving the local body? Are you serving uh, uh, and thinking and giving and praying for people all over the world to come to know Jesus Christ? That's what a healthy Christian, his heart, her heart begins to beat that people all over the world of every tribe, nation, language are saved. And when they are, we begin to treat them as our brother and sister because they are. We have the same Savior, the same Father, and we're called the same things. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. He says, when therefore I have completed this, when I've been to Jerusalem and delivered this to them, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul said, man, when I go to Jerusalem to deliver this, I'm coming to, I'm coming to Rome on my way to Spain. And I'm going to come as a blessed man. Now, what was he talking about? I think, number one, he's saying, man, it's going to be a blessing to see you. But I really think he's talking about I'm coming as a blessed man because when I go to Jerusalem and deliver this, man, that, that, that people all over the world have taken up for the saints in Jerusalem, I'm going to receive such a blessing out of seeing their faces and out of delivering a blessing. I'm going to receive such a blessing out of that. Now, let me give some perspective to you, okay? Think of the day in which Paul lived, Okay. Paul is writing the letter to the Roman church from the city of Corinth. Now, let me give you some perspective. If you look on a globe, here's what you're going to find, all right? Now, I'm going I'm to try to do this, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the stage. And so, so okay, uh, if, if you look, Corinth is here, okay? Corinth is here. You got Italy, where Rome is in Italy, right? So you got Italy here. You got Spain here, okay? Corinth is where he's writing from. He's going to Spain. Rome is on the way to Spain. Very strategic, isn't it? Very strategic. Now, Jerusalem is 800 miles in this direction. So Paul is on his way to Spain. He's going to go through Rome, wants them to be a sinning church. He says, and I'm coming to see you. But before I do, I got to deliver this to Jerusalem, which means he's got to go 800 miles in the opposite direction. He didn't have a Delta. There was no Amtrak. He didn't even have a car he could get in and drive 800 miles. That's 200 miles the other side of Dallas from here that this dude's going to have to hoof it. Right? He's going to have to walk, get on a boat when he can. It's not convenient, but he was committed to doing it because, man, I wanted to serve those saints up there. You see, that is inconvenient service. There is no service that's convenient, folks. There is no service. Serving people is never going to be convenient for you. It's always convenient when people serve me. It's never convenient for me to serve anyone else. But he was so committed to serving the saints that he said, I'm going to go 800 miles out of the way, 800 back, 1,600 miles before I ever get to start my trip to Rome, to Spain through Rome where I'm going. Because I, and it's going to be a blessing to me. Most people would say, oh, oh, man, I got it's going to be a blessing because I get to give. Our world just does not understand that, especially the American dream world. Because you know why? We, we don't consider our blessings and and what we give, we consider our blessings in what we have. But that's not the inversion all. The inversion all says your blessings are not counted in what you have, but in what you give. You see, in our world, in the American dream world, we are fundamentally defined by what we have, right? What kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, how much money you got in the bank, what kind of clothes you wear. Man, we begin to be defined by the things we have in the American dream world, but 
In God's kingdom, we're not defined fundamentally by anything we have. We're defined by what we give, by who we are, those things, right? And so Paul said, I'm going to be so blessed because I'm gonna get to give myself to these people in ministry and I'm gonna get to give this money to these people, right? Remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, let me give you another sad stat. I've told you, man, 80% of the people here not, not involved, uh, you know, that they're not Christians, uh, 85 to 90% not involved in church anywhere. 95% of Christians never share their faith, doesn't compute. Well, let me, let me tell you another stat. And I heard it again, saw it again this morning. 94% of Christians, air quote again, 94% of Christians don't tithe. Did you realize that? 94% out of every 100 uh, 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 people who claim to follow Christ don't tithe. And that's, that's, uh, it's just like, again, Paul would have said, huh? What? Sasquatch, there he goes. I don't, that doesn't exist. I, I don't understand that. 94 out of every 100. And people give all kinds of reasons. One of the reasons I can't afford to tithe. You might say, I can't afford to tithe. Basically what that says is tithing's last for me. I mean, because we can afford to do what's in the front. We can't afford, you know, we put it here, then we can't afford maybe something else, right? And so 94% don't tithe. So if, if it's more definitely, if you believe in Jesus then, and you believe in his word, then you believe what he says is true, and you, then you believe 90, then, then it's more blessed to give than to receive because Jesus said that. If it's more blessed to give than receive, then how in the world does 94% of the people who claim to be Christians not even tithe? Are you blessed? 94, 94 out of every 100 Christians aren't living in the blessing that God has for them. 94 out of every 100. Where are you within that? A healthy believer, a healthy Christian is passionate about evangelism. They're committed to the community. A healthy Christian serves the saints. They give of themselves. They give of them, their money. They give of their time. And let's look at verse 30. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul, he didn't just ask them to pray for him. Hey, will you guys pray for me? He begged them to pray for him. He begged them. He knows I, I'm challenging you to live sent. And let me tell you something, living sin, sharing the gospel, planting churches, that will be the most fulfilling thing you'll ever do in your life. I promise, man, some of you are going to have, take great vacations. Some of you are going to do great. I've had great vacations and I loved every moment of it, but it's not the fulfilling thing for me, right? I mean, man, I, 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 I've got to do some things that I love to do in life and I, I hope I get to do much more, but that's not, you know what's fulfilling? Man, living sin, seeing God do great things in people's life. That's the most fulfilling, but let me tell you something, it's also the, most, the hardest. It's the thing that creates more resistance and more distraction than anything. And so Paul knows if you're going to live sin, if we as a church are going to plant churches, if we're going to, to share the gospel with people who've never heard, if you're going to live sin, if you're going to invite five to Easter, man, you're going to consider it. You're going to encounter some resistance and some distraction. And if you're going to do these things, it can only be done through prayer. It can only, prayer is vital to successful ministry. It's vital. Now, Paul knew this, God is the one who's going to save people, not, not God, not you. God is the one who's going to save, but the tool that he uses is prayer. The tool that he uses is prayer. Prayer is vital. To, think about Acts. Paul's going out through the book of Acts, and man, he is sharing the gospel, and it's a missionary book. Churches are planted everywhere. People are coming to know Jesus, and what's the church doing? They're praying day and night. Wonder what would have happened if Paul would have went out and the saints would not have been praying day and night for him to be effective. Wonder what would have happened. 
God saves, but prayer is the tool that he's used. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, God's favor came to him in ministry through the prayer of the saints. He knew that prayer was vital to the success in ministry. Do you pray for the spread of the gospel and those who spread it? Do you pray for your neighbor? Do you pray for pastors? Do you pray for people that's preaching the gospel? Do you pray for the spread of the gospel? A healthy Christian is passionate about prayer because he's passionate about people getting saved, passionate about community. He's passionate about serving. He's passionate about praying for God's glory to go among the nations. Are you a man or woman of prayer for the Christians? Let's close it out, verses 31, 32. He said this, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers. So he knows that he's gonna be opposed. He prays for protection for those who will oppose his ministry in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He knows there's a lot of people in Jerusalem that still don't know if they trust him and help them to be open to what I say, okay? So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all, amen. So Paul asks that they pray for his protection for the, against, he knows he's gonna be attacked, but I want you to understand he's not praying for protection so he'd live a cush life. Paul's not saying, oh man, I, I, I wanna be kept safe because I don't know about that persecution stuff. It's not much for me. This is a guy who's been beaten and left for dead, stoned, right? Cursed at, spit at, run out of town and he gets up and goes right back in, right? I mean, this is a guy who, who's on his way and, and he has prophet Agabus come to him and binds his feet and his hands with Paul's belt and say, this is what's gonna happen to you when you go to Jerusalem, <laughs> right? Paul says, I gotta go. Paul's not asking that he protect him because he's afraid of persecution. He's asking for protection so that the gospel can go forward, so that he can preach. He's not saying, help them protect me because I don't want to suffer. And he's saying, help them to pray God protects me so that people can hear the gospel. Everything was about the gospel and people being saved for Paul. And so it's amazing. And in verse 32, he asked that they pray for those in Jerusalem to be open to his ministry. I know I'm going to go there and I know some of them is going to be closed down. So pray that they accept and are open to my ministry. Folks, please pray that every time I preach on Sunday or whoever preaches here, our staff, please pray that people's hearts would be received, their minds would be open to understanding, their eyes would be open to seeing, their ears would be open to hearing. Please pray that people's heart, mind, eyes, ears are open to the gospel. Please pray for that when, when, when in Bangkok and Brussels and, and, and Brazil, pray for pastors that truly preach the gospel, that their audience their eyes and ears and heart and soul would be open to the gospel. Pray for people that you invite, you're invite five, pray that they would be open. Pray for people. Pray for people to be open to hearing the gospel. Pray for that and, and then uh, uh, listen, uh, as you pray, pray that their hearts are open and responsive. And so Paul's saying, pray, pray, pray. I challenge you, I beg you to pray. Folks, listen, do you pray for the gospel to go out? Here's, here's what I want you to understand. What you pray for reveals a whole lot about you and your heart. I would love for you to go back and examine your prayer life and think about what's the most important, what's the thing that you pray for more than anything else? Are they, did they stop, did they center around you, your wants, your desires, you? Folks, it ain't bad to pray for yourself. We see scripture tell us to pray for our needs. You pray for your needs. You got needs, pray for them, right? But it can't stop and God's not your, 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 you know, your butler. He's not your bellboy. He's not there just to come and meet your every need, right? That's not what prayer's about. It's your prayers, pray for your needs, but do they, don't stop there. Pray for God 
God's glory. Terminate on God. God, pray for people to be saved. Pray for marriages to be saved. What do you pray about? It reveals a whole lot about you. Notice also, Paul wanted them to pray uh, for people to be open so that he could come to them in joy. Now, what does this mean? I think it means simply that Paul's revealing a great deal here, and, and, and I'm, I'll be quick about this, but I think Paul's revealing that one of the greatest joys in a pastor's life is when non-believers become believers, when people are open to the gospel. There's no greater joy in a pastor's life than seeing people be saved and seeing Christians run hard after the heart of God. There's no greater joy. You know, I, I, that's what we give our life to. Give my life every day. I want to see people saved and I want to see, I want to see the unsaved saved and I want to see Christians run hard after the heart of God to be sanctified, to grow, to become like Jesus. Nothing brings a pastor greater joy. Nothing brings a pastor greater joy. And folks, I think what, what Paul is saying here is pastoral discouragement is very real. I want you to know. It's very real. I mean, man, being, being a pastor and being a preacher ain't always pats on the back. Good sermon, preacher. You know, it's sometimes it's dealing with constant criticism and like uh, wrangling wild pigs. Now, I'm not calling all of you pigs, but some of you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sort of. No, folks, it's not always rosy, right? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard work. And, 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 and I'll tell you that so you'd feel sorry for me. What I tell you that for is the next part of that. You know what brings a pastor the greatest encouragement? I was telling some folks last week that, that, you know what brings a pastor the greatest encouragement, man? Seeing people come to know Jesus, but faithful church members. Man, that's, that's the greatest, that's the, I mean, through my years of ministry, here's what I know. There's always ornery people that, man, some, I mean, in my flesh, sometimes I just like to smack, you know? Thank the Lord, I haven't done that yet, <laughs> okay? But there's always those ornery, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've had, man, there's always those ornery people that, man, they're just all, man, but I know in those times, man, I just, man, I just thank the Lord for good, faithful people, faithful church people faithful members that I know is working and striving. And I'm just, that's the greatest encouragement. And I tell you that because I want you to know, man, it's an honor to be the pastor of this church. It's an honor to be your pastor. Now we're not perfect. Listen, I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm honorary sometimes, right? I mean, I'm just like you. Sometimes I stand up here on Sunday and I've got 14 things going on and 13 of them are not good, right? Sometimes I'm like you, I get up and man, I come to church and the night before, man, I, I beat one of my, I didn't beat one of my kids. I shouldn't have said that. I, I, I really, I, joking, jokingly, you know, I was into it with my kids or, you know, I mean, sometimes Amy's just a rear end to me, you know, and I mean, it, it's just not good sometimes. I'm like you, right? And so sometimes I stand up here and I've got 14 things going on, 13 of them's not good and, and all that. But here, here, here's what I'll tell you, man, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect, but it's an honor to be your pastor. It's an honor to be your pastor because, listen, we're focused and you are not about games and you're not about, man, I, just this whole cultural Christianity thing, right? Thank you for that. Thank you for being a church that loves the Lord and is passionate about pursuing the Lord. We're not perfect, but man, we are in progress, right? It's not about perfection, it's about direction. And I look out and I thank the Lord for how some of you, man, where I've seen God bring you and where I'm seeing God doing you. And it's just amazing. 
And so it's an honor to be your pastor. And that's why I said that last part right there when I just could have skipped that, but I wanted to say that to say pastoral discouragement is real, is real, but also pastoral encouragement is real. And that comes from just seeing God do great things in people's lives. And there's a lot of great things right here. I mean, it's an honor to be your pastor. And so I challenge you by closing to make every moment matter in your life. How do you do that? Well, first off, man, I promise you, Man, I hope God blesses you and I hope you have a lot of stuff in your life. I do, a good stuff. I hope you have, man, a lot of good stuff. I hope you have a big boat because I want to go out on it. I, I hope, man, that you have money and you can travel because I want you to take me with you. I hope you have a, I hope some of you have a beach house. And man, my family and I'd love to go on fall break. No, I hope God blesses you. But here's what I know. When you stand before God, it's none of those things. Those things aren't bad, and I hope he bless you with it. But it's none of those things that you're going to go, oh, but God, I had all this stuff. Make every moment matter. What's it going to be? Are you passionate about evangelism? People come to know the Lord. Are you passionate about that? Is that what you're praying for? Man, are you committed to the community? Are you serving the saints? Uh, 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 these are the things that you're wringing every moment out of every ounce out of every moment. You're making every moment matter. These are the things that are not going to be wood, hay, and stubble. These are the things that are going to be trophies that you take to heaven. These are the things that are going to be trophies of your faith. The things that you're most proud of, the things that you say, look, man, I'm so thankful for what God's doing. This is substance. Are you healthy? Where do you need to grow? We all need to grow. Where do you need to grow in these things? Chad and Jordan's going to come and they're going to lead us. And as they do, we're going to respond. We're going to respond by tithing or giving our offerings. And man, I've already given, I've already tithed. I, I do that online. I set it up. It's recurring. You can do that through our website. You can do an EFT. You can text tithe, whatever you want to do. If you've got a, if you got a salary, please do that. I say that all the time because it helps you be consistent. It helps us. But if you make a, uh, an hourly wage or if you make inconsistent uh, with what you make one week to the next, this is your time to give. And man, we thank God for that. No matter how you give, thank God he gave you. We're going to respond by giving. We're going to respond by praying. Some of you are going to respond by repenting. Some of you are going to respond because you say, man, God's convicted you that I don't, I don't, my passion for evangelism is not that great. Some of you are going to say, man, my, my heart, my serving is not that great. My, my, my commitment to the community is not that great. And God's convicted you and you need to pray about those things. Repent of some of them. Pray about them. Maybe some of you need to come and talk to us. We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Remember Easter, Good Friday, two weeks. It's a great time to apply all the stuff that I've preached today. Let's pray together, can we? Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church. God, thank you, God, it's not perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. This church is not a, a perfect church. But God, we're a people that just are in, on a journey. And God, I pray that that journey, for us, the center of that would be the heart of God, your heart. And God, if, we, if that's what we live for, God, if that's what we strive after, I pray that all those things you give us then would, be, would make sense. God, I pray that, Lord, if, if, our, if our heart, that we would grasp that, if our journey is to you, the word, the center of your heart, then, Lord, when you give us the things that sometimes we cause life to end on, that that wouldn't be where life ends. That would be tools that you give us to bring other people to the center of your heart. And, God, I pray that today you would bless our church. And God, we say that, but Lord, we pray that our church would bless you. We pray that our marriage would bless you. 
We pray that our, our giving would bless you. We pray that our, Lord, our, our parenting and our relationships and our job would bless you. Because God, if they bless you, then we will truly be blessed because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we would live every moment on mission. Lord, that we would make every moment matter for your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.